0: The Jericho Network on Westwood One.
1: This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Westwood One's Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me this week from the band Collective Soul, it is bassist Will Turpin. His new solo album is called Serengeti Drivers. And then on the other side of that, I have got from the band Lit, Jeremy Popoff, their new album, Little countrified. is called These Are the Days, so we talk about that and, of course, the new sound. And then, of course, they are on a tour called the Gen X Tour with Buck Cherry P.O.D. and Alien Ant Farm. Huh? Isn't that great? And on the phone, co-hosting this week, is Adam Hamilton, who, of course, once played drums for Dawkins, but also is better known for being in L.A. Guns. Good day, Adam. How are you?
2: hey mitch thanks for having me man good to talk to you
1: yeah so before we get into lit and collective soul and of course uh ricky rocket of poison how how dare i forget ricky rocket of poison uh who are on tour yeah i know on tour with cheap trick that's that's by the way a very interesting build to me because i I don't know who i would go there for the most because man cheap trick great band. Great,
2: what you,
1: great yeah yeah what are you up to these days i mean I, you left la guns what nine years ago ten years ago
2: yeah it's probably been about that long time flies for sure
1: yeah so so pretty, what are you up to
2: I'm pretty much a homebody these days you know i i produce i have a studio here at my place it's uh called palm ranch studios okay oh, so you can google me and find me there send me a message um And just uh, doing a lot of music for TV and film. That's kind of my main thing. Those two hats are the the main two I wear these days. So between those two and being a dad, it keeps me busy. You know how that goes.
1: Oh, don't I know that. And, of course, (laughs) uh, being a a Montrealer, you are currently working on a sort of Montreal connection artist. You've got William Shatner.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I got Bill Shatner in here. We're (laughs) doing actually a, a holiday album. It's the second one. I did one for him. I produced one in 2011 called Seeking Major Tom and we ended up, it ended up turning out really good and we got a number one on a billboard chart on Heat Seekers the first week and we had a great time and just kind of became friends and he said I want to do a Christmas album and so that's what we're working on. We got quite a lineup of people that have come out of the woodwork that want to be on it. We got Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, he's gonna he's been on and he's gonna uh, actually be in the video with Bill on the first single. Um, we've got Henry Rollins. We got Elliot wow. Easton from the Cars, who was just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year with the Cars. Yeah, class of 2018. Um, we've got Todd Rundgren. We've got uh, Artemis Pyle from Leonard Skynyrd um oh man the list goes on and on and on we've well, got he, so many he, great people
1: he is not messing around that is a a killer line now now of course since it is a christmas album i'm assuming that you're aiming for like a november release date give or take
2: yeah i think they're shooting for right before thanksgiving that was what we were hoping to do i think they're gonna we're wrapping it up we still have to do one more round of mixing where Bill he'll he wants to come over to the studio and sit down and just listen to everything one more time and make sure he's happy with it but he's it's crazy man he's just involved in the whole process and just loves being creative and he gets such a kick out of making these records and he loves that people get a kick out of it too and it's just fun it's just a lot of fun
1: uh, it sounds like a lot of fun now is he singing on this album or is it sort of a narration what what, what yeah we... you
2: know he doesn't really sing. He just kind of does his thing where, you know, we call it acting. He does it. He, he acts the lyrics. He does a uh, narration and he'll break into a little bit of song from here and there, for, you know, at t- certain times, but for the most part, you know, if we have a singer on the record, it's a guest, you know, and he just kind of, we had Brad Paisley, one of his close friends, he played guitar and sang on blue Christmas and they trade off back and forth. It's hysterical, but, um, It's just funny, man. You know, you get the ball rolling and you put the word out and all sorts of people that are Shatner fans want to be a part of it. And we've got, we unfortunately, we couldn't find a place for everybody that wanted to be on it this year. So we had to, you know, only only got 12 songs, so.
1: Wow. That's, that's that's so great. I I love uh, Bill or William. I mean, he's, you know, the local university here, McGill University, actually has a, a pavilion named after him because he's he's that important to sort of, sort of the local Montreal you know oh, heritage absolutely. and stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that's great. Now, quickly, and I know it's not an Adam Hamilton interview, but just remind me about that time that you got to play drums for Dawkins, because I've always enjoyed that story. But I think a lot of my listeners either don't know it or haven't heard it, or maybe just need a little refresher on that story as well.
2: That was a fun night. Um, I, and I, It's actually captured in posterity on YouTube, uh, a very grainy filmed uh, performance. But LA Guns have been opening for, we've been on tour with, with Dokken and Warrant and Rat uh, on that Metal Edge summer tour. And we had had a great run. The second month was coming up, and we were about to play one of our last, shows of the whole tour, and it was going to be in Phoenix. And by the time we ended up in Phoenix, we were going to play this outdoor pavilion. Uh, Mick Brown had gotten sick and couldn't play one of their last shows, and that happened to be uh, their hometown, his hometown. And so it was it was a real bummer that they weren't going to be able to do the last show. But I was actually a, a drummer first and foremost, and pretty much knew the show back and forth. I mean, I'd been hearing the the and set every night for two months, and knew most of those songs anyway. So I jumped on the bus and talked to Don and the band and I said, "Hey, listen, I I think I could play the show and get you guys through it." And they said, "Well, let's have a little rehearsal and see how it goes." So we went back went backstage and kind of ran through the songs a little bit, and they took a chance and said, "Let's let's do it." And we did the show and and it ended up being fantastic. It ended up being a great night cuz first and foremost, I was a drummer before being a bass player, so.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's such a great so, such a great yeah, show. Yeah, I
2: got I got to jump in and save the day, which was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, see, I I like those kind of stories. Now, uh, just before here we get over to uh, Will Turpin of Collective Soul, I need to remind the folks that I will be hosting the New England Rockfest on Friday, August 17th and Saturday, August 18th at the maximum capacity in Chicopee, Massachusetts. So if you're in town, come out and see me. I have got – we've got – Eric Martin the voice of Mr. Big performing all night long uh, with uh, Steve Brown and PJ Farley of Trickster and the next night it is Firehouse so uh, come and join me come say hello and uh, come enjoy the Kivel Records 20th anniversary New England Rock Fest isn't that cool I love those kind of festivals by the way And now let's get over to our first guest, Will Turpin of the band Collective Soul. His new solo album is called Serengeti Drivers. It has been six years in the making, but it is now out and available. And the band is on tour on the Rock and Roll Express tour this summer with Three Doors Down and Soul Asylum in Selected Cities. There you go. And without further ado, here is the one, the only Will Turpin, we are speaking with Will Turpin of Collective Soul. His new solo album is Serengeti Drivers, available June 8th, everywhere where you can get music. Will, an absolute pleasure to talk to you.
3: Hey, cheers. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time as well.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to start with this. Um, There's a press release that I have in front of me from October 8th, 2012. And it says at the bottom here, once Serengeti Drivers is released in 2013, Will Turpin and The Way will embark on a tour with dates to be announced. Um it is now 2018. So so talk to me about the process of getting this album put together and why are we looking at press releases from 6 years ago? What what was sort of the delay? Was it just a labor of love? What what took so long?
3: Yeah, it wasn't uh a labor of love. It was more of a, you know, well, sometimes press releases come out too that uh, are just conversations too uh before real plans are made, but um you know what happens is I did start recording those songs in two thousand some of them in two thousand thirteen so that was my idea but life happens um, my wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer and in the meantime collective soul has not taken the foot off the gas pedal which is extremely good thing for me but um you know life happens and then uh things things slow down and And then, I, you know, then I started trying to find the time in between, I I basically get a lot of time between November and March, um, because collective soul gets real busy spring and summer and early fall. So, you know, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And then, and then by the time I'm almost finished, I've, I've probably been basically finished with these for about a year, but then I take my time, uh, mixing with some other people. I used, uh, four different mixers on this record and uh and then it's not done until november and then i show the record to everybody and then people who want to uh the people that i'm working with business-wise they want all their setup time too so now we're looking at june 8 which was you know uh you know it's uh it, it it took uh four years basically to to get it all together and get it released
1: it did now so so talk to me about the songwriting process how is these songs different than what you do in Collective Soul? And how do you approach songs that are meant for a solo project apart from or a, aside from a, a band project?
3: I think, you know, with Collective Soul, you know, there's a lot of songs that Ed's got uh, his own sketch in his mind of of these songs. Maybe maybe 80 percent of the ideas are kind of in his head already. And. With collective soul, I can also just focus kind of on my responsibilities, and and, and it's not that my responsibilities are only on bass, but I can focus on what my strengths are in the band because I know we all know where our strengths are and what we lean on for each other, and 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 what we are expected to do on our own. So, with a band, that's kind of different, and and with the solo record, you know, I, I sit down. Obviously, I, I don't write most of these songs. They don't start with a bass idea. Um, piano was my first instrument, and it's basically the way I see all music is uh, on a piano staff or on a keyboard. So I start all these songs with um, a piano, or I, I, I commonly go back to the roads and start a lot of songs on roads as well. And then I kind of think about or imagine what players I want to round out the, uh, the vibe or the Overall harmonics of the song, so you know I basically with the solo record, I used different musicians on almost every song I, there's they're they're all playing on multiple songs, but there's only you know a handful of songs where it's actually the same group playing the song, so
1: yeah, so um now of course, you do have the rock and roll express tour with three doors down starting uh in July. Will there be time for Serengeti Drivers to be brought to a live stage? Is that something that you're hoping to do to, to get out there and do some uh, Will Turpin shows and, and bring these songs to the fans?
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, before the summer tour starts last week of June, uh, Serengeti Drivers is released June eighth. So I've got a show June sixth at Eddie's Attic here in Atlanta and another show June 8th on that Friday night at a venue called Madlife sound and stage. Uh, so the June 8th show will be a full band. It's a really cool venue. Um, and then Eddie's attic, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's, you know, I'll start that set out with just me and a piano. It's, it's a intimate listening room. So I'm getting two in to kind of, uh, you know, signify and, uh, you know, kick off the actual release and then I'm busy until uh September 20th with uh with Collective Soul Rock and Roll Express. And uh I'm I'm definitely already looking at right now, you know, you're always 6 months ahead of time with uh with the music industry. So I'm I'm definitely going to book some shows in the fall. I don't know how
1: far out I'll get
3: out of the southeast. Um it just depends, but I'm definitely going to do some more shows.
1: Talk to me about the beginnings, real quick, of Collective Soul, because here here was the band that was coming off of. We had the hair metal scene, then we went over to Nirvana. Talk to me about getting started with the band and what it was like around '93, because we're we're heading into 25 years since Hints, uh, Allegations, and things left unsaid.
3: Yeah, yeah, Hints, Allegations was released on Atlantic Records in '94. So 25 years is next year for us. Yeah. Um, Collective Soul is, I mean, it's, it's, it's Ed's, it's Ed's baby, it's Ed's thing, but Collective Soul was a group of guys from a small town that understood each other and felt the same way about music. Ed was working on his, he's six and a half years my senior, he was working on his craft in my father's studio and me and all my buddies, all the original Collective Soul guys, even, even Dean, Ed's brother. We were uh we were coming up through high school and we understood uh and were big fans of what Ed was doing in the studio. He had some solo records out uh before Collective Soul. And uh, you know, the short version is, you know, when when, when his friends were getting married and getting real jobs, uh we were getting out of high school and you know, that was kind of the beginnings of Collective Soul. I was pretty much the last one to commit. But I feel like the the, the main strength in Collective Soul was our our friendship and the, the, the way we were able to kind of, we, we had an unspoken language, a, a chemistry and a vibe that was there from the beginning. And it was because we grew up in the same area and, and, and we thought the same way about what we wanted to sound like. And, uh, I've always said this and it's a, you know, it's a common question, but you know, as far as what was going on in the era, we, we just created by feel and in like, you know, Ed songwriting should be considered amongst the best, uh and we just write and play for the song and uh and we're just ourselves, you know. We didn't we didn't overthink what is collective soul gonna be. We didn't really we didn't really think about that. We just knew who we were and that's that's what we were gonna be.
1: Talk to me though, just quickly about what the scene was like in terms of getting signed back then because there was this sort of upheaval at the time and and and, and rock was sort of not in favor and yet you still managed to get signed you still managed to break through was it a struggle or did the record company say yeah you know what this is the sound we want to sort of get
3: yeah i mean it it, there's always i think with every band there's a there's a kind of unique pathway that they have to go through as far as um the steps they took to to be recognized or or to be signed or whatever um and with us you know it It seemed like overnight, but like I said, Ed had really focused all of his energy um, right out of high school into songwriting. So he had been, you know, he was 28 years old when we got signed, or 29, and I'm 22 years old uh, when we get signed. Um, It's, you know, and I'd worked my whole life on music as well. Um, So uh, I don't know, you know, I don't, for me, for Collective Soul, I think it mainly started with people enjoying our music uh we had sold i got i really can't remember the number right now but I, we had sold 15 20 something thousand records on an independent label and the song "Shine" had broken out on college radio in Atlanta um so we kind of garnered our own success in the beginning and record labels saw the saw the attraction there because we had already garnered our own success we didn't we were definitely not a, sto- a version of the story where the, the record label signs us and then they help us help us to build something. Collective Soul was uh, a, a living, breathing, successful thing uh, on, on a micro level. So uh, when we got signed, they just put the Atlantic Records stamp on that record, and we went out and played live. They didn't. There was nothing they changed. Nothing they did. Uh, we, we were just ourselves. And like I said, Ed's songwriting, uh, you know, stood alone as as really the strength.
1: It really does uh, outside
3: of. Yeah, and and then when, when I listened to the bootlegs, even when we were youngsters in '94, um, there was certainly something electric and musically, still musically uh, technically good about, uh, the, you know, the five guys from Atlanta.
1: Ed, of course. I guess we could refer to him as as the creative force behind uh, Collective Soul, but talk to me about your contributions in terms of getting albums put together and in terms of the vision for the band. Is is it simply you come in and you lay down the bass, or how involved are you with the actual uh, songwriting and song making and song crafting for Collective Soul?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's you know, like I said, I grew up in the studio and studied music my whole life, so there's a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that um that uh I kind of fill the void on with collective soul and it's definitely more than bass um uh and we kind of we basically kind of produce ourselves in a lot of ways because we all started in the studio um uh but you know it's it's hard to explain it depends on the song man i mean there's uh there's piano parts that I might have played over the years there's you know there's all kind of stuff um and it's more of uh, you know Ed's got a definite direction where he wants certain songs to go, so it's more of like also Ed deciding what what we're gonna you know hey oh okay that's a good idea Will let's do that you know and and the Ed's still the final decision maker, but um and we're all in there we're all in there doing uh, we all kind of have our role that's again. He, you know, that's one of the strengths of being in a band where everybody trusts each other and, and recognizes our strengths. Um, yeah. So, I mean, after, golly, how many records now we got 10 studio albums. Uh, there's so many different things and responsibilities over the years that I've, that I've done or somebody else has done,
1: you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. Now, now one of your strengths of course is the live performance and collective soul live uh the album if you want came out at the end of 2017 just talk to me about putting that album together because it is in a way a compilation of different shows best performances over the years um what was that like putting that together and 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 sort of sifting through those tapes and and really picking out those moments that say yeah that's the version
3: yeah um you know today's technology kind of lends itself to uh to make it a little easier because we would we were on tour and we recorded uh, to a hard drive, obviously, uh, through to Pro Tools every night. Um, I would write notes on nights that I felt like there was a special energy, um, and I would keep notes on that. But the main uh, the main resource there for sifting through it was Sean Groves, who's kind of been our sixth man for a long time now. We met him during the dosage recordings uh, at Tree Studios in Atlanta and um he's, he's evolved in kind of our sixth man he uh he engineers and mixes and understands everything about us and our style and um so we we said sean uh oh lord we must have sent him 40 at least 40 shows and uh I, like i said i gave him some notes on things that i thought happened magically on certain nights in certain towns Uh but we also depended on him a lot to sift through it and then uh once he starts mixing it, he just sends us mixes, and uh, we all have some things to say to help him out. Stuff, you know, you get into a mix, and uh, sometimes you can miss stuff. So he, he sends them out, and uh, we'll give him a little feedback. And then and Sean generally uh, understands exactly what Collective Soul Sound needs. And uh, that's kind of how, how we ended up with the
1: record. Yeah, it's a it's it's a stunning live record. It just sounds fantastic. I mean, it's it's purely live, right? There's no studio trickery where you re There There's
3: absolutely zero overdubs.
4: Zero. Uh, that's, see, that's what I
1: like. And I like,
3: it, it, if I was with you, I'd show you a few songs, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that is a little flat there. <laughs> I mean, it's not perfect, but there's zero overdubs, and, and live music's not meant to be perfect. Live music is meant to um, – it, it's, it's really meant to uh, –
1: it's meant to be it's live to. to 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 have that it's passion and have live.
3: right. it's it's meant to uh it, it show emotion really it's really all about emotion it's not about a technical movement or a a technical sound it's it's about emotion and it's about being together in one spot and celebrating
1: yeah i've always thought that the uh, the, the warts and all on a on a show is what makes it unique that the fact that you're getting you know that that night i i i can't stand backing tapes and backing tracks it drives me up a wall uh, see What You Started By Continuing came out in 2015. Where are we in terms of the next new album? Uh, well,
3: there will be a new album out next year. We have uh, completed, I'd say completed, we'd, we've we got 90% of of the actual songs recorded. There's still some some uh, you know, there's still a little touch up here and there, uh, maybe a vocal, maybe some backing vocal, maybe a little part here and there. But we've got uh, we've got over 20 tunes that we've recorded in the last nine months. So the idea at the moment is more of a uh, double album, but um, we're we're going to see how this how how the planning actually unfolds. There's all kind of options when we got this many songs, and and like you mentioned earlier. There'll be a new record. There'll be a huge tour and uh, we'll be out celebrating 25 years uh, next year. That, so, uh, yeah. Uh,
1: talk to me just quickly about how you approach an album now. Cause of course, when you're back in, you know, 93, 94, 95, you've got a record company saying, listen, MTV needs this and radio needs that. And can you make a song like this? Now you're past that you have this sort of, I'm assuming you're past that and you have this freedom to do what you want. Uh, how do you approach it? and, and, and this might sound a little silly, but but why bother? Because in a sense, your collective soul—you put your name on a marquee. You're going to go do a whole tour this summer. You're going to—you tour like a hundred shows a year. Uh, what inspires you to say, "Yeah, we need ten new songs. Yeah, we need twenty new songs. Why not just throw the name on the marquee and sort of live off the name?
3: Yeah, we could easily do that. Of course, I, I think um, I think an artist, I think a true artist, if you're still prolific, it's not like you need it. It's just. Man, uh it's still the greatest feeling and satisfaction in the world that I get when I create. And you know, when we when we don't get that satisfaction and we're not creating, I mean, man, what we do today not only does it stand alone and compare to anything we've ever done, but um it's crushing. I mean, we're we're killing it right now creatively. We're finding the right vibes. Uh, so uh, you know, we I think we all kind of think the same way. Uh, you know, when 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 creating's not as fun for us anymore, and we're strictly touring just to to make money, it's it's gonna be, it's gonna feel different to us because we still really enjoy creating, and I don't I don't know really what else to say about that. Right. Um,
1: but is there more freedom in it though? Now, can can you take more chances when you make an album, or do you still have? You no, know, we've got a collective soul sound, and we gotta give the fans. That sound I mean are are you restricted in what you do at this point like
3: I was mentioning earlier with how collective soul came about, that first record was recorded for Atlantic records it was even involved, right, so because of the way it started, even all through the nineties, our Atlantic records never stepped in the studio and said anything creatively, they never told us what they were looking for we because of the way it started we were lucky in the fact that they were like oh well we ain't gotta do anything with these guys that first one crushed we didn't have anything to do with it so did we need their partnership absolutely i mean we don't you know you can't do it without atlantic records but they were never that label with collective soul ever that was getting their hands into the into the creative process at all we were trusted and we were allowed to do whatever we wanted to do so in that regard that's kind of still the same, even 24 years later. Um, we do what we want to do, man. We, it's hard to believe, but we didn't, we didn't overthink what was going to be cool and what we thought people wanted to hear. Even in the nineties, we did what we felt like we thought would be cool and what we thought felt right
1: right and, and, it, and it worked out now uh, when the new album does come out are we doing another pledge music campaign and and how was that for for the live album to go through pledge and 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 have that direct to fan kind of marketing
3: yeah i mean that's that's your that's the key phrase with pledge it's 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 about direct marketing to um to fans and uh yeah it was cool you know we we, we get to put a little bit of energy into it it's not a whole lot and uh you know come up with we came up with some cool interesting things that we could direct market to fans it's just another um just another outlet for us to uh you know have those revenue streams now now that record sales is not so much of a revenue stream <laughs>
1: yeah it's it, it's less and less a, a, as a revenue stream um i i do want to ask you about ed i mean when you when you look back at at the history of front men and 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 songwriters and, you know, a David Lee Roth will come to mind or a Paul Stanley will come to mind or a Steven Tyler. But but Ed's right in that conversation. Uh, just talk to me about working with him and, and, and what he is as a front man and what he is as as a songwriter. And just having spent, you know, 25 years with him on your side a, a, as a creative force, just just sort of talk to me quickly about Ed.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's he's, he's prolific in his writing, Um he can he can literally sit down and um, he can he can he can he can pretty much just come up with a sweet melody, um, pretty much whenever whenever he feels the the the, the need or whatever. But um, I've known Ed my whole life. Ed and Dean, we uh, grew up in the same little town. Their father was the choir director at the church. Um, I believe he belongs in all those conversations amongst his peers. I think he should. I think he should be considered one of the best songwriters uh, of his era, um, and he's definitely rubbed off on me um, in my songwriting. His his lyrics his lyrics stand alone. I mean, there's not many people to me that can use words so eloquently and convey such really cool positive messages, and 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 also they're not, it's not a specific message. It's like he can write a song where 10 people can listen to it and all 10 can have a different, um, a different take on what that song means to them. And that's another, for me, another huge strength in songwriting. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's hard for me to reflect on exactly what it's like being around him. Like I said, because it's me, Ed and Dean grew up, two blocks away from each other. And now we live on a bus together. So it's almost like it's just kind of being around Ed and Dean is just, and I'm, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. So it's just part of my life. You know, I, I I, I don't have that perspective where they weren't in my life. So it's kind of hard to reflect on it.
1: It it really is. Now, now of course that uh, Serengeti drivers is coming out. Where does that put you in terms of other solo projects or other solo albums? Is it sort of it's it's done and now I move on and it's Collective Soul or do you think okay in a in a year from now or in 2 years from now I want to start this process again?
3: Yeah, I think uh I think now at this point uh it's going to I'm going to have another one real soon. I've got I've got some really good songs I've already started and uh yeah, and and although Collective Soul will always take precedent and it should um, there's there's time to get out there and promote these these uh, these records and and hopefully it leads to different collaborations too. I've got so many friends in the music industry that I respect and and enjoy being around. So hopefully some other collaborations come about when people realize that there's um, while I've gotten some songwriting credits with Collective Soul, it's you know Collective Soul certainly Ed's thing. Um, so yeah, so when people hear my solo stuff, that's that's a different perspective they get, and I'm sure some other stuff will come about because of it. But um, you know we got two shows here before we get we get out on the road. Uh, like I said, June sixth and June eighth in Atlanta, and then I'm I'm gonna play some more shows in the fall. So I'm gonna you know, and I'll be around Nashville a lot in the fall too. So between Nashville, and Atlanta, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out there and stay stay real busy now.
1: I I, I want to just take it just quickly back to what you keep because you've said uh, uh many times here during the interview that you know Collective Soul is Ed's thing but you've been there all along why is it not your thing why why sort why sort of defer to ed i mean it, it is your thing too isn't it
3: it definitely is i mean my whole okay. life is my whole persona is based around collective soul and uh right yeah no it it's no I, I just i just mean creative i guess i mean the main creative force is what i mean by that
1: okay but, because, cause it, but it's interesting to hear because it's, it's almost as, you, as if you defer to him and say, no, this is his, and I just sort of show up and, and turn on the lights. And it's like, no, there's more. that You don't just turn on the lights. You're, you're, you're Will. You're the bass player. You're, you're as much part of no, it. No, uh,
3: without our chemistry and our vibe right. as we
1: band, uh, we're,
3: I mean, I, I, again, Ed's songwriting would have found the light no matter what, but we're not Collective Soul without the chemistry and the group. Gotcha,
1: and uh, I'll finish on this today. Of course, uh, and I'm sure you've spoken about this at length many times. But Woodstock '99, great event. I remember sitting in my living room watching it on pay-per-view. Of course, you had you know Metallica and all, all kinds of great stuff. Just, just what was that event like for you personally, and also for the band? I mean, it, it it did raise the profile. I mean, you were already sort of five years into the career, and the profile was what. But was that was a, a larger-than-life kind of event, right? Yeah,
3: Woodstock '99 was great. Uh, we we had we had really honed our show show in at that point. Uh, when I look at the HD footage now, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. We had we had been really playing a lot of shows for five years, um, and it was good. If I if I can go back, the one that was really more more pivotal to me in, in our development was '94 when we played Woodstock '94. True, uh, on a Friday night, and. We had been signed at that point to Atlantic Records for nine months. And, uh, you know, being on the road, uh, you know, all the classic clubs across America. We played 200 – over 200 shows that year in 94. And getting the call, uh, we got a – within the same couple days, we got a call. Hey, uh, Aerosmith wants you to open up. Okay, right, awesome. Yeah, we're doing that. We're real happy about that. And then within a couple days, uh, Woodstock 94 – Friday night, uh, as the sun setting, uh, you guys got a 60 minute set. So things were happening quick and, uh, it was a big deal. And then we get there on site at Woodstock and I'm, I'm seeing so many of my heroes. Um, I got to meet King's X that day. Um, at Doug Pinnick, of
1: a, you kind love that.
3: Yes. And I'm still friends with Doug. Uh, so, I mean, th- those records, I was, I was just, I was eating up every King's X note that they ever did. And then, and, and it was, I remember King's X played before us, and I went side stage. I saw King's X playing on stage right there, and I look out, and um, by all accounts, there's well over 350,000 people out there. And uh, I, I can't, you know, feelings Feelings are truly hard to kind of delve back up and truly feel that way, but uh, I know what my mind was thinking. My mind was thinking, uh, oh, oh shit, this is really happening, man. This, this is going down. And for me, that one was a, even more – pivotal in our career and in our development than even the 99 one was. Um, Like I said, although 99 was a big deal, man, we were clipping at that point. I mean, it was a big show, but it was almost just another show for us. Uh, We were just clipping, man, sailing through the seas, man.
1: And of course, uh, King's X, uh, you know, one of those bands that, that have been around for years, but just never got to that next level. And it's strange because musicianship wise and, and song, they have all the elements and there's just something that just didn't get them. And, and it's, 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 wow. I mean, what a band, uh, tie. It's a
3: musicians. It's, it all, they almost end up being a musician's band because all musicians love and respect them. Uh, but I was, uh, man, I mean, Beatles are clearly my favorite band, but King's X was the culmination of the Beatles mixed with some three-part amazing musicianship and a little metal. You know, there was a little metal in there uh, and a little more hard rock. Uh, so I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about them. They, they, influenced, they influenced me so much. And um, I was just taken back that day. I, I remember kind of almost going into a sprint because I saw all three of them walking down the same hill I was walking, but they were like 60 yards in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Ty and, uh, Tabor, I really man. Remember, almost a, yeah, man, I, I was jogging to try to get to meet them.
1: So, <laughs> well, did you? Did you catch up to them?
3: Oh, I sure did. And like I said, uh, through Texas a number of times, and uh, Doug comes to hang out. And uh, we, we've had some really fun times with Doug. With, uh, he's a hero of mine.
1: Yeah. So and so on on Saragetti drivers part two, you can you can get Ty and 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 Doug and all that to join you. Uh, Will, absolute pleasure today. Uh, thank you so sure. much. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to have them on the album?
3: Absolutely, man. Absolutely.
1: I'll, I'll email Ty later and tell him to to give you a call. Uh, absolute <laughs> absolute pleasure. Yeah. Cheers, man.
3: Thank you. And and uh, see you on the road. All right. Yeah, come see us, man. We're uh, we're out. ton of dates, man.
1: Come see us. Absolutely. Thank you, sir.
3: Thank you. Have
1: a good day. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. And a big thank you to Will Turpin of Collective Soul. His new solo album is Serengeti Drivers. The band is on tour this summer. Do yourself a favor and go check that out. And Adam... While we're speaking of people named will um and interviews when when do I get to chat to uh, William Shatner? I'm sure you, you can uh, put in a good word for me right
2: absolutely I've already already put a little feeler out there and told them that we wanted to have you guys talk when he starts promoting this record, and uh we're gonna get it finished up in the next month or so and I'm sure by summer we'll start doing. He'll start doing some press, and you will be at the top of the list for sure.
1: Oh, so exciting! Uh, you know, because because we all grew up with obviously his famous role as Captain Kirk, but more than that, I mean T.J. Hooker and all that wonderful stuff, and just the fact yep. that he is a Montréaler. A Montrealer, as we say. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, he comes out here. The, we have a festival called the Just for Last Festival, which everybody has played. Jay Leno and, and Seinfeld and just every – and William, or, or Mr. Shatner, let's call him that, uh, sometimes comes out and acts as MC or host of the festival. And Oh, nice. Y- yeah, and if you have a chance – I don't know if you can get on YouTube, but uh, up here, you know, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Network and, and our comedy net they show these – galas that he hosts the, the guy could not be funnier i mean he's right up there with with seinfeld and, and jay leno he's 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 to die for just hilarious yeah, hilarious he's, got,
2: he's quite a comedian great timing he's he's definitely so well-rounded and so yeah. talented he's a great
1: guy yeah so speaking of uh talented let's get over to our next guest jeremy popoff of the band lit their new album is these are the days and they are on tour like i said on the gen x summer tour with alien and farm pod and buck cherry and next week i do have josh todd of buck cherry talking about what's going on with the band and the tour as well but you sir hamilton had a chance to tour with lit back in the day with your band joe 90 and your big single back then was drive um talk to me about that what were the is there a lot of like nasty stuff where they were pulling lights on you and driving you crazy or, or were they No,
2: you know just the opposite those okay. guys the Pop-Up Brothers were so nice everybody in the band uh, Kevin the bass player and Alan the drummer he's, he's uh, since passed away but uh, Alan the original drummer on their first record those guys could not have been nicer and we played a bunch of festivals and radio shows with them uh, back in the 90s and uh, one of the great moments I'll always remember, and I always try to carry this one forward, is um, we showed up to to play, and, you know, usually, obviously, the opening bands get less stage, you know, you get less time, less stage area, you don't get the drum riser, you set up in front, and they let, we were even third on the bill, so there was uh, somebody that we had to open for in front of them, too. They let everybody use the drum riser, and they made a point to say, to us, you know, when we were first starting out, and we would op- we opened for uh, the Offspring when the Offspring had just broke, and the Offspring did the same thing. They said, Nope, you guys get the drum riser too. We like to- we like everybody to have an equal shot, and we don't like to take anything away. It just goes to show you, like when people are cool and in sec- and they're secure in who they are and what they do it's like they can they can be you know they can make things so much more fun than when people are insecure and like no you don't get this lights these lights you don't get this sound and you have to set up in front of us that to me is just a you know i don't think it's that uh, you know you it's not like well we've earned this through the years where the headliner it's like no usually it's kind of like it shows the insecurities of that band you know that's kind of what i've what i've seen through the years is it's the, the cool guys that, like, are confident in who what they do. They don't care if you turn the PA up louder for you than them. When they come on, they know they're going to rock, and those guys did. They treated us so nice. They gave us everything we could have possibly needed to put on a great show and, and not felt like, you know, the little opening band. So we I love those guys. They were super nice to us.
1: And, and, you know, that's how it should be, because when you go to a show and you've bought a ticket, you should get to enjoy the entire show, and when you see a band getting short staged and, and, you know, they can only have five feet of the front stage and and they're getting to have three lights and it, it, it sort of ruins the entire evening. And, and, and,
2: yeah, I get, I get that there's a, you know, a hierarchy and the, the protocol for opening for bands is, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna eventually hopefully get, get to that second, that next level yourself one day. But I, I just it reminds me of the old story of, of, uh, Kansas, when the, on their first record, when they were opening for Aerosmith, and Steven Tyler would go back behind the amps, unplug all of Kansas amps, because they were doing so great, and they were getting the crowd into it so much, and he was just like, at his I guess he was just at a very insecure point in his life and career, and he didn't want Kansas to do great, so he would sabotage the shows, and finally Kansas was a bunch of big dudes. Finally they put their one of their roadies over on the side and they said they plugged all the plugs into the other side so they made it look like he was unplugging the plugs uh to sabotage their show the second time it happened. And uh so they 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 kind of like outthought him. They uh they outsmarted him, but finally one of the guitar players jumps off stage and chased Steven Tyler around the arena and <laughs> <They> said <laughs> Steven Tyler was like hiding in a broom closet cuz he was like, you're not going to sabotage our show anymore, even if we are the opening act. It's pretty funny when bands do that.
1: That's hilarious. And, and you know, you look at bands like, like Aerosmith or, and any other band, whether it's Metallica, and, and I'm not saying that they've done that, but if you're at such a level and you're headlining an arena or headlining a stadium, the least of your concerns is the guy that's playing six songs ahead of you. I mean, really? Like, how can that even be in the equation of stuff you have to worry about. And in fact, you really have nothing to worry about if you're headlining festivals and stadiums and and arenas, quite frankly.
2: Well, one would think that, but uh, musicians can be a sensitive bunch and can be very insecure and feel like, oh, no. I mean, you know, it's like the old story about, uh, what was it, the uh, Monterey Pop Festival where you had uh, The Who and Jimi Hendrix and all them arguing backstage who was going to go on first, who who didn't want to follow somebody, because, you know, Hendrix was smashing equipment and burning guitars and stuff, and the Who said, man, you know, we're not going to let him outstage us, and so that's when they started smashing all their stuff, you know, just just to try to outdo each other. So there's always a competition, you know, music's not just music, it's always a competition. The opening band's trying to blow the headliner off, and the headliner's doing what he can to not let that happen. So it's it's pretty funny, man. It really is.
1: It, it's insane. And and on that, uh, during my interview with uh, Jeremy of Lit, we spoke about the Gen X summer tour and blowing people off stage. And I said, man, what great competition because POD brings it every night, Alien Ant Farm brings it every night, and Buck Cherry, you cannot out- perform josh todd on there and uh, jeremy's like yeah you know what we're gonna give it our best shot every night so let's get over to the interview here is without further ado the one the only jeremy popoff of lit we are speaking with jeremy popoff of the band lit the band of course is on tour this summer the gen x tour with all kinds of great bands buck cherry pod alien ant farm and lit i will be seeing you on july 30th in watertown new york it's going to be a fun fun event good day sir how are you good man good to talk to you yeah it's been it's been 17 years since i since we last spoke as far as i can remember so it's been a Uh, while time time
4: it's crazy with the with with the powers of social media and all that i feel like we talk all the time because i'm always
1: reading your your posts and 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 stuff so Oh, my my crazy on this day stuff right it's no it, right, the social right. media has made the world a lot smaller in fact let me let me start there with you i was going to start with the tour but since you mentioned shows social media how is imp- how important is you know the instagrams and the twitters and the facebook's for for you as a musician and what you do well i unfortunately
4: i think it's it's more important than it should be um but it's um you know it it's a blessing and a curse, you know. I mean, it, you you you've, you find yourself feeling like, oh, it's it's four o'clock and I haven't posted anything today. I better, you know, I better do something interesting uh, and talk about it, otherwise, I'm going to lose my, you know, I'm going to lose my audience, and that's just kind of a silly way to 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 be programmed. But I think that that's just sort of where we've, you know, what we've come to. I mean, back in when I was a kid, you know, we would wait. I'd wait for my copy of Circus Magazine to come in the mail. And then by then, it was, you know, everything was three months old. It was old news. And, and, um, but, you know, that was what you got. And you just would, you just imagine that your, that your, uh, heroes were living in some castle somewhere on top of a mountain, you know, if they weren't, if they weren't, uh, on a tour bus somewhere. And, and I can't imagine what it'd be like, you know, um, 30 years ago, like, follow you know dming bruce dickinson on my instagram you know and having him go hey man i'm gonna be here i am eating a cheeseburger you know
1: yeah you know you, you but you make um, a, it's a great point though because you look at bands like kiss that really built their career on the mystique of you can't see their face and all if instagram and twitter were around be like dude here's gene eating at the deli without his makeup it's okay mystique over let's move so it it's hard to create that now right
4: it's it's um there, I don't think there is any mystique anymore, unless you, unless you're one of the very few people that have just decided to kind of swear off social media and not participate. You're almost kind of frowned upon if, if you do that. But I have a couple of friends that have, and, and, and they said, you know, they say it's the best thing they ever did. But, um, but you know, it's, I, I guess it kind of comes to the territory. I mean, you know, it, technology, I mean, the way we make music anymore has gotten a lot simpler as well. You know, we don't, we don't have to go hide away in a recording studio for a couple of months to make, to make a record. You know, we can kind of do it on the fly. We can kind of do it as we write it. So just, you know, everything is just kind of, it's just all instantaneous now and, and right there in your hand. So it's, um
1: so, yeah. So so, yeah. so let, let's talk about this Gen X tour. And speaking of instantaneous, I mean, as soon as the the, the tour is going to start, it's going to be all over YouTube, but uh, talk to me about getting together with these bands, Buck Cherry, Alien Ant Farm, P.O.D. Of course, those those were the bands that sort of had the airwaves from 99 to like 2005. They were really sort of the game. Uh, it's a great tour, great package. Uh, talk to me about putting it together. And, you know, once these dates run out, do you think maybe down in the fall you might want to get together and do something else with some of these bands, either as co-headlines or something? Because it, it truly is a great, great package for for fans of, of that era of music.
4: Yeah, man. I mean, thanks. Uh, it, it is a good, it's kind of funny. Just, uh, the, the, the four of us were all, you know, we're all from Southern California. We all grew up playing in, 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 in the clubs around here. And, and we all kind of came onto the scene around the same time. So, uh, and we've just been doing it for a long time. And I think that, you know, it's summer is, is the season for, for package tours and, and people, um, people want a little bit more bang for their buck these days, I think. So, so it's just kind of smart for people to, to package up and to, um, and to kind of bring the, the, uh, the traveling circus around the whole country. I mean, we've done a couple things like this um, in the past, but it's just, I think it, it, it's great for, for fans of, of rock shows because it gives them, um, you know, gives them a chance to see a great, package a great you know hear a bunch of songs that they know and, and the sets are a little shorter and a little leaner and um you know and i th- I think it's just become kind of the thing that people people want and and people sort of expect now is to get that more of that value for
1: for their hard-earned money you know yeah Let's see four rock shows in one Oh, I agree. And and of course, as you say, with this, the set list being condensed just a little bit, you're really just going to get all the greatest hits of these bands, and that, that's just going to be fantastic. Now, in that set list, uh, are you going to dedicate, of course, some time to the new album, These Are the Days, and, and have you know good problems to have, and those songs in there, or are you going to stick mostly to the, the classics?
4: We definitely combine them. I mean, we definitely um, will play all the songs that people – have known over the years and that people expect to hear lit play. But then we're definitely going to play a couple of new ones uh, from the new records, you know, cause that's what we're, you know, we're still writing songs and still making new music and that's what kind of keeps us going and, and, um, keeps us inspired. So that's, and that's really what's going to win over the, the next, um, generation of fans, you know, I mean, people are going to always, you know, we're very fortunate to have, some hits that people still love to this day, and that are you know, kind of they mean something to them um, uh, to, as part of their life, you know, part of their soundtrack, whatever. And, um, but, you know, we like to think that maybe some of these new songs will be part of the, the next phase or the next soundtrack. So we, you know, we, to keep ourselves entertained and to hopefully, you know, turn people on to some new stuff, we'll, we'll definitely be be um, playing with some, some you know, we always kind of change it up too. So we'll play good problem to have because it's the new single, but we'll also kind of mix it up and, and see which ones people are, are digging the most and which ones are going over the best and kind of right. and of tweak it from there.
1: So so let's talk about, because you, you just mentioned that you're always writing. So between Lit and View from the Bottom, there was eight years. Between View from the Bottom and These Are the Days, uh, five years. Is the hope for the next new album, even though this one is, is as fresh as it can be, to get it out in a, in a shorter time period? I mean, would you like to get something out in a year from now or in two years from now? Or are you sort of in this, no, it's going to, if it takes five years to get the best songs that we have, it's going to, how do you sort of see it moving forward?
4: I, I kind of, I think that it's going to go to a more of a single driven um, kind of market. I think the people are just going to start putting songs out and not really worrying about trying to make full on records because nobody's buying records anymore, And so, and not only are they not buying them, they're not making them anymore. And, 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 you know, your, your 2020 car is not going to even have a CD player in it. And, and, uh, you know, FM radio is probably going to not be around just like our TV, you know, our local TV rabbit ear channels aren't around anymore. And just all that kind of stuff is just changing. And, and, you know, going back to that whole instantaneous digital world that we live in, I think. You know, I mean, I could write a song right now and sing it into my phone and literally give it to everybody later on tonight. And um, I think that might be where, you know, where it's headed. I mean, I think we'll still make great sounding recordings and we'll still make, you know, videos and all that kind of stuff. But I just don't know if if we'll wait until we have 12 completed, mixed and mastered songs, you know.
1: And and it's funny that you mentioned it's funny that you mentioned that FM radio might not be around Last year, the FM signal was already turned off in Norway, so it's happening. I mean, it's already, uh, you know, that, that's happening. So so talk to me about um, These Are The Days. You, you went through the Pledge Music site, which is a great site, and, and maybe we can get a, just a quick comment on that. How was it working outside of a big record company and a big label and the whole machine of the AOR guy and the this guy and the that guy telling you that this single needs to be this way? Just here we are, straight to the fans. Take it or leave it. You know, how was it that process, and did it affect sort of the creativity or the writing process at all, knowing that you could do essentially what you wanted? We didn't. uh, the
4: The pledge music thing was a great experience because it was a very direct connection with the fans. We did a lot of. We did some cool i mean you know uh, somebody in england got the guitar that i played in the miserable video and um you know there was just random stuff on there like like you know stomp box pedals that you know that went bad on the road and people got to got to have a piece of that or, or got to see just different different um handwritten lyric sheets and just a very personal uh connection with the band which you know was cool was cool for us but it was also it seemed very cool to the to the you know people that got to participate in that you know we got a lot of feedback from from fans that got you know that got to really get a piece of some something special to them and something that that had a direct connection to us and and it just um so that part of it was super cool it was a lot of work (laughs) i'll tell you that was oh yeah it was uh you know Ah. my house looked like a like an Amazon warehouse for a while there and all oh. the guys came over and it was literally, it was very DIY, very old school. Like it was, it was back to our 1995, you know, do it yourself days. And and it was funny. Cause I mean, it literally, you had, the whole band was at my house. Plus my son was in there helping and we had a couple other people helping. And, you know, we were drinking cocktails and stuffing envelopes and laughing and goofing around. And, and, and we did that for probably three or four days. Uh, nice. just, you know, uh,
1: we, we, we had, I know the feeling. I did the I did a pledge music campaign uh, for a Kiss tribute to for um, a cancer hospice here in in Montreal back in 2013. Sold a thousand CDs, which was you know the limited amount run, and yeah, I spent probably a month alone in my room talking to not my wife, not my kids, and just stuffing envelopes. It was, yeah, it's it's, it's a, <laughs> yeah,
4: it's, a it, it's a that part of it was pretty was we uh, that was the one moment where we kind of missed having a. A record company involved but other than that it was a pretty cool um pretty cool process and now so the record's going to come out in july officially through all the other
1: distribution whatever networks whatever you call them yeah that, yeah yeah, yeah. So, and there's
4: going to be probably two or three um two or three bonus tracks on it um that what that you know, songs that that right. weren't on the pledge music record so um in fact so, one of them we're, we're starting to record tonight and it'll be it'll be uh We'll be finished with it tomorrow. It'll go get mastered and mixed and then uh, it'll be on the new one. So kind of cool that going back to what we were talking about, it's that easy to get music
2: out now.
1: And and I'm looking forward to it now. Will that be, these are the days just whatever version, or is it going to be called the deluxe version or is it, does it change the name? Is it called? These are the times. I mean, the one in July. We'll keep it the same. I I mean, we, we really like the, we really like the album cover a lot and,
4: and the, and the vibe of it. And, I mean, the vinyl will probably stay the same. I don't know. I don't even know that we can physically create more space on the vinyl record. So that will probably stay intact. how it is. But the, uh, the CD and the download and everything will have the bonus tracks. And we even have some, um, uh, some kind of uh, work tapes and demos and things that we may make available as well. So people can kind of get a little glimpse of what the process was like. And, and um, have some pretty cool some cool um moments of writing some of these songs and and we actually um while we're talking about all that we're re-releasing um view from the bottom and the black album the black album's actually never been available digitally and so we're going to release that and both of those records will also have um some never before heard bonus tracks and some demos and things like that so so be, oh, that's be very plenty cool. of lit coming out this year. <laughs>
1: oh, good, because it's nice to see that. Because, you know, listen, when, when I first did interviews with you, and I remember there was one day, what was that band? It was Handsome Devil or, or Devil Handsome? Handsome Devil, something like that? Mm-hmm. You, were, you were on tour with them. Handsome and Devil, yeah. Handsome Devil, you were on tour with them. We had a great night in Montreal. Everybody did interviews with everybody. And and the band really seemed to be firing on all cylinders. You were sort of at the top of your game. And then, of course, it, it sort of... The, the release has got more spread out, so it's nice to see that you're back making music, because anybody who does, kudos, because I love that. Um, these are the days, though. You halt, or you stop short of calling it a country record. You say it, it's more Nashville-influenced, uh, and of course you have that that connection with your dad, who was a DJ back in the day, who, who spun, I guess, Nashville or country records. Um, talk to me a little bit about the sound and are you worried about alienating earlier fans? Are you trying to gather new fans or you, is it just, you're, you're free to do what you want? Talk to me about sort of moving into that Nashville sound without calling it a country record.
4: Um, you
1: know, it's interesting cause I mean, we,
4: I mean, I, I I've in Nashville part time. I have a house there. I've been, um, I've been spending time in Nashville for going on 14, 15 years so, I mean, I, Nashville's been more in my blood than any other scene or any other town, really. Uh, you know, um, and it's a it's a real community that kind of we did not you know, back in the day, I mean, we were very lucky enough to to get a taste of what the Sunset Strip was like in the late 80s. We were all in high school and it was kind of you know, it was this, we went every Friday night, every Saturday night, you know, we, it's the reason we started our band, we were in high school, we just thought it was cool, and we wanted to play the Roxy and the Whiskey, and, and we got to, um, we got to be part of that scene for about five minutes, and it was pretty cool, but after that, there really wasn't a scene in Orange County, there really wasn't a, a sense of community, and um, other than just bands that you met out on tour, I mean, the first time we met about Cherry or the first time we met um POD you know, uh, the offspring or right. or POD or or even no doubt no doubt right was out at some big festival you know with some we're playing in front of you know 30,000 people or something we didn't meet them um you know in some local club or we all hung out together um there wasn't any of that kind of sense of community so you know about 15 years ago when when um, when I went to Nashville for the first time that kind of all changed and all, all of a sudden there was this whole town and this whole community of like-minded people and songwriters and musicians, and not only songwriters and musicians, but like the best, the best songwriters and the best musicians. And to feel that connection and to be welcomed by that community and then also be inspired by them and, and to be, call them your friends and your, you start writing with them and working with them. It was a, it was a game changer and, and definitely. So, you know, it would be impossible Anybody that's followed Lit from from the early days knows that really, there's we've not put out the same record twice, and the records have all kind of run the gamut throughout from song one to the end. Always experimented with different instruments. We've always had slow songs and fast songs, and we've dabbled in different things. We've never been afraid to really uh, to try different things, and you know, these are the days is just a is just really. It's it's where we are in our lives, you know, and we've we've all been, you know, we've had kids and we've been married and we've been divorced. We've had good people, you know, we've lost good people and had our share of of triumphs and tragedies. And 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 you know, here we are, thirty years later. Kevin and AJ and I are still in a band together, still making music together. And you know, if anybody cares or anybody gives a shit, this is what it sounds like now. You know, this is this this is the stuff we're writing now, and um, it's been going over great. You know the, the the, the, the live show is still just as energetic and just as much a rock show as it ever was. And, you know, a lot of people, they talk to us after the show and they say, you know, they'll say, man, we were, we heard that you were doing country stuff and we were, we were worried, but man, the new stuff's so awesome. And, and, you know, the show is still killer. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a natural progression. um, And I think that people, you know, we're in our 40s, and I think that most of our friends that are in their 40s, they love rock and roll, and they listen to country music too, and they love and they like all of it. And I don't think we would be doing anybody any kind of service if we sat down and studied a place in the sun and tried to pretend like we were 30-year-olds again. I just think that would be kind of a scam, and it would be kind of shitty. you know?
1: Yeah, and, and, and listen, I've got to say, good problem to have in Fast, uh, the, the two that are out there in video form and on Spotify – they sound great to me. I mean, I I don't see what any fan could complain about. You want a good summertime song, fun song, <laughs> whatever you want those are they i mean they are them so so kudos on that now you did mention progression so do you see sort of the, the next album being something else or do you want to sort of continue in the nashville thing and develop that a bit or like you said your progression has always been to do whatever you do and so the next album could be a complete left turn it could be a complete like a, a heavy metal album a la, a la judas priest or <laughs> i mean why not that right? would
4: be fun that would be fun as hell wouldn't it though um
1: Because you have that freedom Uh, now.
4: You know, um, I just went, uh, the, the band Odin just re-released their, uh, Yes, sir. Their, a couple of their records. And, and, you know, when AJ and I were little kids, like, well, little kids, we were 13, 14, whatever, but we used to go see Odin play all the time. They were huge, huge influences on us. And now we've, you know, uh, you know, now that they're friends of ours and buddies of ours and, um, you know, they'll, they'll drag us up on stage with them to play, uh you know shining love and one of their some of their old stuff and leatherwolf is another band that pulls us up and we do some old leatherwolf songs that were i mean aj and i are, and kevin we were you know hardcore metalheads growing up and that's how we actually met you know kevin was kind of we joke around because kevin aj and i were all the we were all in the maiden and and ozzy and metallica and, and kevin was was uh into van halen and Dokken and and Kiss, and so we always make fun of him. He's kind of the kid on Beavis and Butthead that wore the Winger shirt, yeah, you know? That's funny. <laughs>
1: no, of course, but, I happen to like how, those bands, that's too. That's how
4: the three of us met. You know, we had we had concert shirts on from whatever concert we just went to, and that's how we, we we saw each other in the junior high school hallways, and, and and you know, we traded pictures out of Hit Parader and Circus Magazine, and that was our, you know, that was our, uh, I mean, we just lived it and breathed it, and that's why we started a band, was because we, we wanted to be like that, you know? That's so that. That's great. And making a metal record be a blast.
1: You, you know, and and joking aside, because I, I said it somewhat facetiously, but joking aside, it probably would work because, like you said, you have done whatever you've wanted. You've you've changed as the times goes, and and why not experiment with the first love and 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 give give the fans a sort of a Dachshundish radish kind of record. I think I think it would work, and I, and you certainly got all of you got the chops to do it. So hey. Why not? Um, um, yeah, we'll see, man. You know, the, this is the, the thing about us
4: now is, is you know, when we we love making music in Nashville and we love, that's kind of where we go to be creative. And we, when we sit down to write, you know, we, we actually, we, we used to have a warehouse in Anaheim and, and it was, it was just kind of a man cave before there was, before they called it that. But for us, it was sort of a clubhouse. We made all our music up at night, you know, over a, 12 pack of uh keystone light you know and and uh and now it's a much more focused effort which is which has it has changed the way we create music now which is actually we love it because it 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 it, we 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 sort of unplug and we disconnect from whatever it is we're doing and then we get in a room and we and we and we focus on writing and creating stuff and um so
1: and you've got all I those metal guys in Nashville. You've got you've got Dave Mustaine in Nashville, Brett Michaels in Nashville, Tom Kiefer, uh, Steven Tyler. You oh should, yeah, yeah. You should get, you got a whole uh, Tesla guys are down there. Um, nineteen ninety nine. But the course. same thing too. They'll 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 all tell you the
4: same thing too about about why
1: they moved to Nashville as, as well. You know, and um,
4: just that whole community thing. That whole yeah. It, it it's funny. It took us it took everybody so long to kind of discover it. But um, everybody every if you're if you're a musician and you are still making music and making songs and 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 doing doing your thing, it, that's Nashville's become just sort of headquarters. It's not L.A. anymore. It's not New York
1: anymore. It's it's, it's Nashville. Yeah. You've got great weather and 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 no earthquakes, so it's it's definitely the place to be. Now, uh, a place in the sun came out in 1999, February. So we're we're actually looking at what ten months before the 20th anniversary. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. So so let's let's talk that first. Since the 20th anniversary really is 10 9 10 months from now, where do you see yourself in terms of some kind of celebration? Do you just or let's slide by and you do nothing? You do a couple of select album dates at the whiskey or at the whatever? You turn it into a tour, you re-record. I mean, what what do you think you do at the 20-year mark to say, yeah, this this was kind of important to us? You know, it's a, I mean, we did a couple well, and we did a 15 year
4: tour in the UK that was really successful and sold out everywhere. We did one show in, uh, in Anaheim, um, on the anniversary. Um, but yeah, 20 is going to be kind of a big deal. I don't know. I don't know yet. We've been kind of, we've been so focused on this record and this summer and just everything that's coming up this year that, um, we probably should talk about it and figure it out. Cause I don't want it to just go away and, kind of slipped past us, but, um, cause yeah, it was a really important record for us. Obviously it changed our lives forever. And, um, and just the way it still reacts live and the way people still respond to it and still talk about it, it you know, was an important record to a lot of people and, and so it should be celebrated and, and I'm sure we'll do something. And, um, yeah.
1: So, yeah. so, so talk to me about the importance of that record. Cause you know, we always talk about the sophomore jinx, the sophomore jinx, and yet here your sophomore, Album is probably the greatest one or the best one, uh or you know. And I, you know, uh, what was that yeah, like? Yeah, no, it going... I mean, definitely was. It, yeah, it,
4: it was yeah, the it most was... successful one for sure, wow. and it was really uh, It was a yeah, it was the biggest. I mean, commercially, it was the most successful one that we put out, and it was definitely the life changing, you know, big high five moment of of our career. You know, up till that point, we had been a band for ten years we had um you know we'd put out a record before that um and an ep before that right. and um you know it was on an independent label and of course placing the sun was our first major label release and it was it was just one of those crazy things that you couldn't you know we were for 10 years we worked our asses off and just dreamed of one day you know playing in the big leagues you know and and um you know being on a tour bus and 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 traveling around the world and that was just we we believed it and we lived it in our in our minds every day for 10 years and then all of a sudden we got called up you know we got we got called up to the majors and and uh and we and we went in and we and you know we made it all the way to the super bowl and it was just like it was just one of those things that you can't really ever plan for it and and when it happens you just sort of hold on and 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 enjoy the ride if you can't i mean it, it happened really fast and it was moving so fast that there were, there was rarely opportunities to just sort of stand there and go, wow, look at this. Cause it just, you know, you were, you know, it was like being on a roller coaster ride. And and if you didn't hold on, you know, you, you, you'd fall off. So it, it was uh it was a crazy time. And it was also a time that, you know, we, we, we really did sell and we know what, a million CDs sold looks like. I mean, we, we touched them and we signed them and we did in stores and we, you know, we, and we came from a school of when we would order a thousand CDs and and it would like fill up your living room. I mean, we know what a thousand CDs looks like. So to sell millions of them is just mind boggling. And, you know, we were able to experience, you know, what that, what that meant and what a, what a real hit song meant on, on real radio stations. And, and, um, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Cause I don't know that there's going to be any new bands out there now that'll ever really be able to experience that. It's just that it's unfortunate, but you know no, one's really going to ever sell a million CDs ever again. No, one's really going to ever have a massive FM radio hit, um, in rock and roll. It's just, it, it's just not really,
1: um, well, and, and I think also really cards. I think also uh, careers are going to be harder to sustain because when you when you are you know Metallica and Kiss and blah 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 and then you get down to Lit and, and you've you've been around for twenty years and thirty years that is actually quite an accomplishment. I mean it's 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 rarefied air to have a music career that's that long. And these days with sort of YouTube singles and Spotify singles and you know how do you stick around for thirty years? So so talk to me just on the other side of that so there is this. This great rise, plays in the sun, leads into Atomic. We get over to, to the self-titled, and everything's going good. And then, whoops, uh, talk to me about the difficulty of maintaining it at that level and staying at that level, because there was that eight-year gap. There was a bit of a downside, um, and I don't say that disrespectfully, of course. What was that like, and, and just going from a place into the sun to Atomic to Lit and saying, yes, we're on top, we're on top, we're on top, we, we're working, we're working, we're working, and then, You know, what happens? How how do you maintain it all through there?
4: Well, you know, luckily the one thing that lit had going into a major label deal and a hit song and all those things that happened in early 99. um, Like I said, we had 10 years under our belt before that. So we went into that world tight as tight as ever. Like we were, we were a unit. We were tight as shit. We had a ton of shows under our belt. A lot of, you know, years and miles under our belt. And we had a live show that you couldn't, I mean, we, we went from literally, you know, playing in clubs in, in Southern California to being on stages and stadiums and, and we held it, we held our own, like we we were opening up for giant arena acts and we were going up there and just <laughs> going nuts, you know, but we had that history and we had that experience so that we, so that, you know, when the, when this industry changed or when radio changed or when nine 11 happened or all the different things that life kind of throws at you at the end of the day, we still had the live show to back it up. So we weren't, we were able to still go out and make a living doing what we had always done. And, and to this day, we're just very fortunate, very blessed that people still want to book lit and people still want to come see lit. And we still give them every bit of a, of a, you know high energy blood sweat and tears rock show that we've ever done um you know
1: and, and by brother, the way i can know. vouch for that cuz i have seen you live and it is a high energy show and and honestly uh, with buck cherry on this bill it's it's gonna it's gonna be a a cage match as to who's going to out energize the other one cuz you're <laughs> you're both crazy out there it's it's fantastic
4: yeah i it's that's funny that you call it that cuz it is that we we're you know we still to this day i mean we backstage, you know, before we go on, we're, we're, it's like, we're going at, you know, we're going into the second half. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're pumped up, we're, we're excited, we're fired up and we go out there and it's, it's like, we're, we're, we're going out for blood. We come from that school of, you know, we, we are a biggest influences and our, you know, a rock show was dangerous and, and it was always on the brink of falling apart. There's always you never know if someone's going to get hurt or if, you know, something's going to break or something's going to happen, but it's not a, it's not a safe place, <laughs> you know, on stage at a lit show is not a safe environment. It's very much, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a real rock and roll yep. show, you know, and, 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 and we definitely leave it when we walk off the stage. I mean, we walk backstage sometimes and just keel over and, and, and <laughs> cause we've just literally left it all there and we still do that. So I think, you know, as long as as long as that's the case, then I, and hopefully we'll k- keep getting invited to, to to do it. You
1: know, yeah, and I, and I and, and I think I, that's you know, I was just gonna say, I guarantee that Josh of Buck Cherry is gonna make you earn your money every night. He's he's gonna he's gonna be on a cranked up to eleven every night, so you're gonna have to go be cranked up to twelve. He, it's, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be an event. Um, I would be very very remiss if I didn't just. Quickly got a, a quote on Alan, of course, the drummer uh, who passed away of, of brain cancer. Uh, and just a terrible time for, for for fans and for for me and the media and and, and you as a band. Just just quickly uh, talk to me about Alan and what he meant to you personally, and also what he meant to you professionally.
4: You know, I think that's kind of what what you were getting at a minute ago. We kind of got off topic, but you know, that sort of time around the after the Black album. Um, when, um, you know, right after the black album came out or right around when it came out, um, is when, uh, AJ and I had, uh, our parents were hit by a drunk driver on their motorcycle. And that was, you know, we had to, we had to take like a year off from not, not just, you know, playing, we, we still played a couple shows here and there. Cause obviously we had to, but. But we we took music, took a back seat because we had to take care of our mom, who our stepdad didn't survive the accident. Our mom Mm -hmm. did, but just barely. And it required around the clock, um, you know, hospital stuff. And so we went through that period of time. And that was really just a just life changing and, and kind of the ground kind of the rug was pulled out from underneath us. And we kind of came back from that and that's when you know it like we just sort of were back from that and then all of a sudden bam this thing with al that we were getting ready to go to europe with kiss and uh at the time al had been living in phoenix cuz he was opening up boxing gyms and he was he was really into this this um he just fell in love with boxing and so he was opening these gyms and he was doing really well with it and he actually came to my house cuz we were going to have rehearsals that week before we went to Europe and toured with kiss. And it was, you know, we were excited and it was going to be awesome. And it was during that, um, during that week of rehearsals when he, you know, when he went numb part, half of his body went numb and we, you know, went to the hospital and started doing all the tests and, and we had to, uh, you know, we had to stay home and we canceled. Well, I mean, we didn't obviously kiss still did the tour, but we had to bow out of that because we had to stay back and take care of Al and, and be with him during that time. So, once again, you know, the rug was sort of pulled out from under us. And, and, and then that was a year or so of, of, you know, taking care of Al and, yep. um, you know, and it was crazy cause he didn't even really know that we were still, cause we still had shows booked and we still went out and we would go play shows, but he didn't really, he, he wasn't even really aware of it cause he just kind of checked out from social media and all that kind of stuff and was just kind of doing, doing what his doctors were telling him to do. And, um, it was a really trippy time because he was the dude in the band who he was always the, you know, the healthy guy. He was, he was super athletic. He got up early, you know, on the road, he got up early every day and, and went jogging. He went, played golf. Um, you know, he owned, you know, he owned a couple of boxing gym. I mean, the guy was, he never drank before a show, never did drugs, just was, and, and never had an enemy, never, <laughs> you know, never had anybody say anything bad about the guy just, so, you know, when all that was going down, you just you 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 just scratched your head and, and it just didn't it just didn't add up or make sense. But, you know, he 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 was solid right till the right till the very end. I mean, we were with him when he went um, and it was just uh, I mean, you know,
1: yeah, it was a tough time. And in fact, I'll 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 quote your, your statement from back then. And I think it's it's a good way to, to, to put a period on this. But he had a heart of gold and would do anything for anyone. And I think that's, that's what I remember too. I only saw him at a couple of shows that, you know, the, that I mentioned before, but uh, you know, just, just a a great guy. And I think everybody in lit has always been exceptionally nice too. So, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that because I know it's difficult, but yeah, you know, we, we miss him, right?
4: Oh, dude, every day. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, he's, it, it's, no matter who's playing drums with lit now it's um you know when they play his songs you know you can still hear him coming through and it still feels like he's back there sometimes and it's just um yeah he's just the salt of the earth dude and yep. and that's kind of you know and here we are again i mean we're t- it's like what we i think that's the thing with lit is is we're you know, you can pull the rug out from under us and it may take us four or five years to recover or to, but, you know, when you still have AJ and, and myself and, and Kevin, um, you know, we're still, we're all neighbors, you know, we still hang out when we're not, when we're not at a show, you know, we're hanging out in the backyard or, we're, you know, um, it, it's, it's, this is all we've ever done. It's all we know. And it's all, uh, we keep coming back to it because it's, it's who we are, you know? And so, um, it's family. It really is. We're just, it's a, yeah, totally, totally. So,
1: Jeremy, just a, an absolute pleasure to to talk to you today. Uh, thank you so so much, and of course, uh, everybody. We will hopefully we'll will we'll get people to check out the album when it comes out in July, and of course, the Gen X tour starts in June and runs through September. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Just an absolutely fantastic conversation. Uh, and as we say up here in Dude. Montreal, merci
4: beaucoup. <laughs> right on, brother. Great to talk to you, too, my friend.
1: Cheers. And we'll see you in uh, in Watertown. Bye-bye now.
4: Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to
1: it. Cheers. See you, brother. Bye. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Very big thank you to Jeremy Popoff of Lit. And uh, let us move on to our final guest of the day from one of my favorite bands, Poison. It is the one, the only drummer, Ricky Rocket. And the band is currently on tour with Cheap Trick. That's a toss-up for me. Who's going to be my favorite band on that night? Because I love both. Uh, Boy, and Cheap Trick. The the funny thing is, is, uh, Cheap Trick's actually doing more songs than the opener. So how's that? How's that, Adam? For 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 a strange, how do you do?
2: Right. Yeah, I mean that's a strange one, but I guess Cheap Trick has they got enough to play for three hours, and you'd know every single song. So.
1: Yeah. Now uh, at
2: least they're letting them do it, having it to have the time out there.
1: You did, of course, tour with Jeremy and Lit. Have you ever toured with Poison? Of course, you know L.A. Guns and stuff. Have ever gotten on the stage and opened yeah. for them?
2: No, but you know, C.C. was the one who brought me out to Los Angeles when he quit LA oh. uh, when he quit Poison during the Flesh and Bo- at the end of the Flesh and Blood tour. That's when I met him in Texas, and he said, "I'm going to start a solo band, and I want you to come out and be my drummer." So he's the reason I got out. So I was kind of connected with him from then on out, um, and then uh, LA Guns actually opened for for uh poison in 99 but that was before i was in the band so no I, I haven't toured with them but have a long relationship with the guys and particularly a friendship with
1: cc so oh that's great now so so just let me just explore that for a second now was this going to be part of that samantha 7 project or was this No, some this other- is
2: long before samantha 7 this was uh in 91 maybe and cc had just played on the uh MTV award show and he came out on stage with the big pink hair
1: oh yes and, the, the and, infamous and he was, he big a, pink the, hair
2: yeah and so I had just met him six months prior to that um, and when the band was in Austin playing the Frank Irwin Center and he came in and saw me playing in a club and said oh my god I love your drumming when I quit poison and it won't be too much longer uh, you're going to be my drummer and so we exchanged numbers and I went and saw the show and we kept in touch and then I didn't talk to him for a few months and then I saw the MTV show and he came out with pink hair and kind of uh railroaded the show a little bit and I was like, Oh boy, I think his time in poison is coming to an end and I got a phone call maybe two nights later and he goes, Guess what? I'm out of the band. <laughs> I've got you a ticket, you're coming to live with me and we're gonna start a band. And so oh, wow. It was me, a guy named Joey C. Jones, and a guy named Chris, Chris Torop, who was in a band called Liquor Sweet. And um we were called the C. C. DeVille Experiment we were in every magazine we took pictures and posters with you know every magazine you could think of out there and after three months we realized that this is really not going anywhere this is not gonna get a record deal and grunge was happening and you we know, all just kind of went home
1: you I know, think after I a few vaguely that, remind, remember that from the, from the pages yep. of Metal Edge
2: yep Metal That's, Edge and we were in yeah. Rip Magazine and Cream and all those magazines and you know, we were, we were geared up and we probably only wrote five songs in three months. We we basically stayed in CC's house and, you know, we would do photo shoots and CC would do interview talking about the new band and we would stay up all night partying and trying to write songs. But, you know, at the time you had Sam Kennison coming over every night and Tommy Lee and Steve Lukather and all these musicians. And it was like a, a party nonstop at CC's, you know, million dollar You know, Rockstar Palace in the Hollywood Hills, we just got nothing done, you know, and CeCe really was, as I think he was kind of decompressing from his stressful poison, you know, uh, last year of poison, and so, you know, we had a lot of fun, but nothing ever happened because of it, so...
1: Wow. Now just let me just take up on the on the drumming thing. Do you do you still drum in the studio on some of the albums? Like on the William Shatner album, are you oh, doing yeah. any okay. Oh yeah.
2: I play a lot of drums on it. Um on songs that we don't have a guest drummer, um, I I'm doing the drum tracks. So yeah, I do drum sessions every week. You know, I have all my stuff set up in my in studio and I'll get calls and, and emails from for projects all around the world and because of the internet and because of the ability to upload files you know, people can send me an mp3, I can track drums to their song, send them the drum files back in an hour, and, and they could be in, you know, in uh, France or England or somewhere like that, you know? Well,
1: that's actually kind of cool. It, it, well, since we're here, is there is there an email or, or a website that they can check out if people want to ask and, and, and hire you to do some drums? or?
2: Yeah, yeah, my studio's called Palm Ranch Studios. Just, just Google Adam Hamilton Palm Ranch Studios and hit me up there, or on Instagram, AdamH111169. And I'm on Facebook, too, Adam Hamilton. Oh, um, there
1: you go. I'm now, easy to
2: find, bitch. Now, I'm easy to
1: find. Yeah, so, so that's great. So, so let's also talk about the last studio album by Poison, called Poison, that came out in 2007, which was this compilation of... Uh, covers where they did uh, "What I Like About You" by the Romantics and "I Never Cry" by Alice Cooper. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, if my my, my terminology is not correct, but you were a ghost musician on that album. Is, is that the proper well, way to say
2: it? No, I wasn't a ghost okay. musician. I, I didn't play anything on the album that wasn't listed or do any secret playing. But uh, I got I ended up calling CC about two days before they were going into that to record that album. We hadn't talked in a while. We reconnected. He goes, hey, man, I'd love for you to come in and help on this. And I said, great. What do you mean? He said, well, we're going to be in, in, um, in uh, Henson Studios in a couple of days. And he said, really, I, all my guitars and stuff are in storage in Orange County. I'm not prepared. I basically brought him in a bunch of vintage instruments and helped him get sounds and helped him with some amp sounds and guitars and they ended up needing to learn a bunch of the covers that they hadn't rehearsed and so I sat down with them and just kind of literally would learn cover songs and help teach them and help you know get ready to track that day and um and I ended up doing hand claps on a couple of the tracks with the guys you know we would stand around and, and clap and away uh, yeah, not do you know, know what you just, you know drop the uh the producer, uh, Don, Don. Waz would say, okay, we're going to do big, a big group clap, clap on the song. And so they'd pull me in for that. But that's about it.
1: So you, you have uh, hand clap credits on the album.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I have <laughs> t- uh, a, g- a gold record and a double platinum record. The first two I ever got was for doing hand claps. So how about that? I guess that should be at the top of my resume. I can start being uh, auditioning myself as a hand clapper.
1: You're, you're, it's sort of like that Seinfeld episode where they talked about <laughs> being a hand model. You're, if you need exactly. you know, professional hand clapping. Now, the other one, if people are asking, is the Counting Crows This Desert Life. So you've got a, a platinum record for that, and then you've got a gold record for Poison for, for the hand clap guy. You're,
2: you're yeah, the hand I clap mean, guy. Yeah, I mean, how about that? I, I spend my whole life working on my chops as a musician, as a drummer, and as a guitar player and bass player and but and the things that have put platinum and gold on the wall are hand claps so who who would have known
1: <laughs> see so there you go so so fans write into to you at the studio and stuff and want to hire you for drumming you're also available for hand claps
2: yeah i'll throw the hand claps in for free though
1: there you go now were you there <laughs> when they did the song sexy back they covered the justin timberlake song it ended up as a walmart only bonus track but were you there for sexy back
2: Yes, I was. I I actually thought that that was a joke. I thought they weren't really going to do that. I thought that when they were talking about all the songs they wanted to do, everybody put their two cents in. Brett would say, hey, I want to do these songs, learn them. Cece would be like, I want to do these. Bobby and Ricky, you can kind of tell whose songs were picked by who um, if you just kind of listen to the style of it. Little Willie is that glam thing. That's Ricky. Uh, I'll never cry. That more like in the Tom Petty song. That's all Brett. You know, you can kind of see everybody's personality in the in the covers and who picked what songs. But that one was obviously it was a popular song at the time, and they were cracking themselves up, rolling around the ground in the studio, saying, "How funny would it be for us to do a version of that?" And so, I guess what happened was the joke got you know it, it, they took the joke got, got, got out, out of the hand. Car, and they actually did it. <laughs> That's but at funny. least they could at least they could take themselves you know take themselves too seriously and they can be silly and have fun you know you, you got to I mean come on you're making a, a poison cover record you got to have some have some fun and keep it light you
1: know yeah and you know what some of the versions on there I'm not going to say are, are are the versions of the songs but if you listen to their rock and roll all night it's a great version they they great po- version. yeah they they poise- po- poisonified it or whatever you want to call it oh, they, yeah. they made it their yeah. own. Uh, we talked about the Elliot Easton and the Cars before, and they did, of course, Just What I Needed. They did a great version yep, of that.
2: Great version. And, and I ver- love the uh, American Band that they did. That was yes. done prior to that album, but it made it on because that the Poison album was actually a compilation. They went in and did the bulk of those songs at Henson when I was there, but a few of them, like American Band. And um,
1: and Rock uh, and Roll All Night, are- which had been on the Less yeah. Than Zero and stuff. But, and, yeah. Um, uh what i like about you from the romantics now i would suggest that you could take any romantic song like uh what is it one in a million or talking in your sleep yep. or and and poison could do them and they would sound yep. like poison songs there there there's a similar sort of ilk or thing going on there and uh,
2: absolutely hmm. absolutely they had a very specific sound yeah for sure
1: so why, why don't we get over to the one the only drummer from uh, poison Ricky Rocket. We are speaking with Poison drummer Ricky Rocket. The tour currently is Poison Nothing But a Good Time 2018 with Cheap Trick. Uh, Ricky, great, great pleasure to speak with you again.
0: Of course, always a pleasure, Mitch.
1: So uh, l- let me just get started with the, what fans I think are most interested in is how are you doing health wise? How how are you? How are you? I'm fine. I've been in remission
0: for two years now. So uh, that's kind of a landmark uh, year for uh, this type of cancer. Um, uh, it infrequently recurs after two years, but uh, but so I'm not totally out of the woods, but I'm pretty much out of the woods.
1: Which is which is great news, great great news, especially for for fans and, and for for you and your family. So so good to hear. So let me get into this this tour here with Cheap Trick. Um, Talk to me about uh, about being on a package with this band because if you look back at you know bands that that Poison have cited as an influence, there was obviously Kiss, there was obviously these other ones, but Cheap Trick was one of them. What's it like to have sort of the mighty Cheap Trick on a bill with you?
0: Um, it, well, it's it's fantastic, you know, obviously. Um, and sometimes sometimes I don't know what to say to those guys. I mean, it's like standing there talking to Rob and just thinking I've got like. A million questions I'd like to ask him. A million questions I'd like to ask Rick. And then I can't think of hardly any of them except, hey, did you like catering today? (laughs) You know, I mean, I almost feel stupid sometimes. I mean, these guys have been through so much stuff. Um, But it's it's pretty crazy how the stories come out. Uh, You know, we were talking about Black Oak, Arkansas, talking about that management, how that management wanted to managed to trick at one point and then uh, uh, then they started telling me stories about that guy and I mean it just went on and on and it's it's always like a little bit of a history music lesson uh, when you hang out with those guys it's pretty freaking awesome
1: yeah I can imagine now on tour and you, you've been doing the the Ricky vlog where you you, you know you put up you, you post you talking on on, um, on YouTube and stuff do you think that that any of the guys in Cheap Trick were, are going to show up in one of those vlogs at some point?
0: Um, that would be really cool. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't bother anybody for that, like including my band or anybody to be on my blog. I, I just don't do it. Um, but if somebody wants to be, then of course it's you know I, I'd love to have it. You know. Right. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I I just I'm not a person to go stick a camera in somebody's face. That's not my style. Um, I mean, I've done street photography and people I've I've gotten pictures of people that don't know they're being photographed, but, uh, but I don't like just, I mean, I know what that feels like, you know what I mean? To have a camera stuck in my face. uh, So, but it would be cool. You know, Uh, that would be, that'd be very cool. Most of my stuff revolves around uh, my perspective from a motorcycle, you know, uh, usually, that's the tool I use for uh, for getting around and experiencing things. And that blog is representational of that aspect of my life. You know, that's kind of where that is. Uh, although the recent one that I put up was a question and answer um, that got hooked up uh, through our management they're like, well, if you're gonna blog, why don't you talk about the Open Up and Say All record? And I said, I'd love to. That would be great. And so that's the one that's up right now.
1: Yeah, and that's the one I, I just saw. Now, now the the tour only has 25 dates, and and we we've already you know gone through a few of them. Is this tour going to be extended I at some point? I think it's 30. Right. Oh, 30 I'm for the 30th sure. anniversary. It's, it's, but, but yeah, I think so. Are, are we going to extend it any you know into the fall, or is it really? we got to see one of these 30 shows and then we're done.
0: I, I think for this year, that's it. Uh, okay. Unfortunately. Yeah. I would, I would love to stay out longer or, or add some dates later in the year or something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be out with devil city angels. We're doing a video in Nashville on the 30th. And so we're kind of ramping up. We have a new song and, you know, so you will see me out doing some stuff with DCA this year.
1: Okay, good, because I I do want to talk about new music in a minute. So uh, but but let's get into the open up and say, ah, I mean, obviously, it's been 30 years. It came out in May of 1988. It was produced by Tom Worman, who, of course, you know, produced those great cheap trick records in color, Dream Police and and Heaven, uh, Heaven Tonight. Uh, Talk to me about that album and, and the fact that here we are 30, 30 years later, you know, the the first album uh, look what the cat dragged in had gone to number three on the billboard charge. How much pressure was there going in to the second album?
0: You know, there was a lot of pressure. And, uh, I mean, I said this in my blog, we went in there scared and came out confident. Uh, we didn't know. I mean, this was like really a new experience. We had always done it, uh, done recording, like uh, almost just like like a garage band, you know what I mean? Uh, Look what the catcher I did and gave us a case of a professional recording scenario, but it was so fast and furious that it was nothing like well, open up and say oh, the way, the way we approach that That was where you really work with a producer and you and you comb through all the songs and uh, you know do all the the arrangement and the rehearsals before you ever hit the studio and then even after you 're in there, you start experimenting and doing some things, that was a completely different way of working for us. Now that is the way to work, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, arguably there's lots of ways to record, but for an organic rock band, I think, you know, getting, uh, learning the songs really well and going in there and getting a really great organic performance is really the best thing for a rock band in my opinion. I, I and that's agree. what we did on that record.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you talk to or you you read interviews with Cheap Trick or Motley Crue and stuff who have used Tom Worman, they, they sometimes bring up complaints about Tom and that they soften their sound or whatever. I've never heard those complaints from from Poison. What was it like working with him and what did he bring to the band and to the project? I mean,
0: his his catalog is is incredible. I mean, he he did so many bands at that point in time. I think he understood our genre. He did have, um, I think a, uh, a little bit of an ear for that pop edge. You know, we weren't a pop band with a rock edge. We were a rock band with a pop edge, if that makes any sense. And I think he took advantage of that. We weren't afraid of it. I know he had done some weird stuff with Motley Crue. I know they tracked, you know, Tommy's kick and snare separately from the Toms and, you know, weird stuff like that. We did not do that. Um, we did not do anything bizarre like that. Uh, it was just straight ahead. And, you know, sometimes he'd be very quiet and kind of stop and listen and not say a lot. And you're like, wow, I'm not getting direction. And, and I think what he was waiting for is it to develop in its own way. And when it didn't, then he'd kind of give guidance. You know what I mean? i like Tom, I think, uh, uh, you know, we didn't use Tom again because and swore that we wouldn't use the same producer twice. Um, at that time, at that particular point in time, we we're like, we don't want anyone to think that the producer is the fifth beetle here. We want people to realize that this is uh, our success is coming from us, not from a producer.
1: That's actually interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I did notice that you had different producers, and and that was a very conscious decision. Why? Why was that important to make as a decision? Why not just say, you know, Bruce is the guy or, or Tom is the guy or, or even Brett Michaels is the guy? Why did you sort of not want to have that illusion of somebody was partly responsible for the, for the success of the band?
0: Well, listen, I mean, every producer was partially responsible for the success of that album but I think, I think we were looking for some variety. Like, I mean, we truly wanted to uh, evolve every record. And I think we did. I think you, especially the first three records, I mean, you really saw the evolution in our band, you know what I mean? Um, And arguably all the way up to native tongue when Cece wasn't in the band, I mean, there was quite an evolution there. And, and Richie Zito, by the way, who did that album, I know we're not talking about that album. He's an amazing producer. Bruce Fairbone, on Flesh and Blood. What an amazing experience I uh, we had with that guy. Um, we've had good experiences with producers, you know. We really have. So it's not like you know we did we, we worked with Tom and we hated him, so we didn't want to work with him again. That's not what happened at all. We just decided we wanted to try something else and. Uh, we didn't want to get and become totally formulaic and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Right, which 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 is good. Now, uh, I know you've you've talked and, and, and Bobby and others have talked about making a new album and, you know, Brett has been resistant. Um, talk to me about that desire to make new music because I, I've always asked bands, I say, you know, why bother with a new album? You can put your name on the marquee and you're going to sell the same amount of tickets, especially as a Heritage Act. Why is it important for you to to want to make a new album and, and, and sort of try to convince Brett, like, okay, come on. It's been since 2007 or 2002. If you're looking at original material, um, why would it be important for poison to have a new album?
0: Um, I think it keeps you relevant, you know? Um, and I do think that, you know, a lot of times people will come to our shows because, uh, they want to sort of relive their youth or a part of their life that was, uh, a little more carefree, even though all our songs aren't carefree. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics to uh, nothing but a good time, for example, it's a person that's in a really bad place in their life. They don't have any money. They can't pay the rent, you know, but they're going to have nothing but a good time because that's what they really, truly want. You know what I mean? So but we can't write that song again. We already wrote that song. So to stay relevant, we need to write things about how we feel now. And there are all kinds of problems. I mean, like, let's take movies or acting, for example, okay? I think, like, maybe Sons of Anarchy, by way of example, was a perfect uh, television show for the demographic that it went at because it had older people in it who could identify with older people who were out there raising hell that wanted uh, uh, some other life or some other release. You know what I'm saying? and i i think our our i think our songs would have to follow that kind of vibe where we, we can't uh put ourselves back at 20 years old and pretend that we're 20 and write a song from that perspective we can't do that anymore that would be ridiculous uh and i think people there's this dichotomy like where people kind of expect you to write uh old poison material you know what i mean and it's like but you can't do that 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 would be that oh. would be insincere it True. would be insincere
1: so what would a new poison so album I don't know if I'm answering your question I'm, right. <laughs> I'm but, sorry but but what would a new, what would a new poison album look like i mean is, is it is it important to you enough that you, that you, it's worth having serious discussions and because i i, I don't want to say i see complaints in the media from from band members saying you know we all want to do it but but there's is it really important for you to 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 stay creative and 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 get and convince Brett to like come on, we really need to do this.
0: Uh, well, listen, I'm I'm not going to hang this whole thing on Brett. I'm really okay. on. Uh, okay. I, I don't think that's fair okay. at all. Um, I think that. Um. I, I think that. Uh, I, I think it would. My personal opinion is that I would like to do another record, uh, or at least another song. I mean, we. It's almost like back to the 50s these days. People release singles. Uh, You know, what are you releasing when you release a collection of songs? You know, it's not an album that you can go buy anymore. Although, arguably, there's people that collect vinyl and things like that. But, you know, it's almost more important just to get new stuff out. So I don't think it would be terribly hard for us to put something else out. And we have talked about that. I just don't have an announcement. About it right now, like where I can say, "Hey, we're coming out with something on such and such a date." I do think there'll be new stuff. Honestly, I do.
1: Oh, that's great. And of course, you know, you look at your your touring mates. Cheap Trick they released "The Summer Looks Good on You," one song with no, you know, ex- expectations of a full album. And and I think it's kind of a cool thing to do to have a new a new tune when you when you head out on the road. Um, you did mention. Uh, I agree. Yeah, right. So you you did mention that Devil City Angels, of course, the last album was uh, 2015. Is that a place where you can tour more and and maybe get out a new album of material as well? What sort of what's the future of that band?
0: Well, we don't tour more, but uh, I'd like for that to happen. Uh, We've had we've had a lot of problems um, in the sense that, you know, we, we got all this traction at the beginning. Um, when we first started the band and then we got involved with a management company that kind of pushed us back, like we jumped 10 feet, they pushed us back eight feet. And, and, uh, that was very frustrating. And just when we were starting to get our C legs again, uh, that's when I got diagnosed and that just really killed the band for, you know, because we weren't able to take advantage of that traction that we were starting to get. Uh, we made a really great record. Um, I thought it was a great little package, but everybody had to do their thing. And I think Tracy Guns is where he should be. He should be in LA Guns. I think that's great. I see pictures of him posted, and I go, man, that's that's Tracy Guns, LA Guns. I mean, that's freaking cool. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm very happy with Joel Kushi being in the band uh, from Collective Soul. Uh, we we have a great relationship. He's a really good player and a really good writer. And uh, it's gelling really, really well with him. Unfortunately, we all live all over the country. Uh, But so we did this new song called Testify. And that, like, was a different way of recording because we were sending the files around to each other and Skyping and all that kind of stuff. And I've never worked that way before. I've been asked to play on things, and I've just laid a drum track down. But this was different, you know? Um, I I just, uh, it was... I thought it was good and the song came out great and I recorded the drums at Fred Corey's studio, Um, but I don't want to work that way again. I want us to all get together again, but we're going to do a video for that song on the 30th. And uh, and then we're going to put that out. And I can't wait. It's really you're going to love it. I know what you like, Mitch, and you're going to love
1: this song. Oh, I can't wait. And, and it's funny that you mentioned Collective Soul, because this interview is going to be on an episode where I have Will Turpin of Collective Soul. So it's so we're, oh, tie- cool. we're yeah, we're bookending. We're tying it all together. Now, you did, of course, do a couple of shows with the special guests, which, of course, was all of Poison, but with uh, Brandon Gibbs as, as the singer Is that something you would also like to explore down the road? Or was that just sort of one of those moments in time that will just be a moment in time?
0: You know, it was a moment in time, um, but if like Brett didn't want to work one year and we got asked to do that a a show as a special guest. I think we might consider doing that. Um, But it's not, we're not like trying to be poisoned. but that's the songs we knew, you know what I mean? So that's, uh, it was, you know, that those particular shows were shows that uh, Brett was booked for uh, somewhere else. And um, we just said, you know, we want to work. We want to go do this stuff. And we just did it. You know, it wasn't a fuck you to Brett. That's not what we were trying to do. I don't think Brett goes out and does Brett Michaels as a fuck you to Poison. Um, just for the record. You know, I don't, it's, we don't have that kind of relationship. Um, right. It's definitely not a Fuck you, fuck you back relationship. It's not bad. That.
1: that would be awfully weird to be on a, on the road and, and touring if it, if it was that kind of open animosity. And I don't think it is actually. Having 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 seen the guys backstage, uh, especially last year in Montreal, everybody seemed to be in in a great place. Um, yeah,
0: you know, we can't. I don't think any of us could work that way. We don't. Fold our emotions very
1: well yeah and plus i think we've all gotten to the age where you don't need that kind of drama in life and if if that's what it's going to be you just sort of walk away and say you know what i've got other options right
0: right right
1: um yesterday i was talking to mike score of a flock of seagulls and I i was asking him you know what is it about the music of the early 80s that has stuck around? And why is it that when you look on the, the concert tours uh, schedules, we see, you know, the Def Leopards and the Teslas and the Poisons and the Aflacca Seagulls, and, and we see less packages from the 90s? What is it about this music that has kept the interest? For so long, I mean, the tours are successful. I mean, just Def Leppard last night—twenty-seven thousand people in in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's it's unbelievable. What what has kept folks interested in Poison and in the scene and in the bands from the scene?
0: You know, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'll take a stab at it. Um, I, I think that people were very, very into their music. Okay, okay, let's let's move on towards today for just a second. They did an experiment where they asked kids if they'd rather have the songs on their iPod or Snapchat and 75% of them said they'd rather have Snapchat. Okay. So we're in a time where people consuming music is music has become an ancillary product, okay, to a video game, to something else. Where in the 80s I think everything else was an ancillary product and music was what drove people. And people really became involved in their bands, and um, and 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 it really defined their youth. It wasn't Fortnite that defined their youth. It was Def Leppard or or, or Poison or Motley Crue or or, or Cyndi Lauper or whomever. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I think that you know, so that age group really supports it, and I think that age group also wants to hand it down, and. Uh, and that keeps it alive. And But the other part of it is, I think that that most of, of the bands at that time uh, really were very good at crafting songs. Um, and those songs hold up over time. Uh, our songs have held up over time. I mean, you can play nothing but a good time with an acoustic guitar around the campfire and make it sound like nothing but a good time and recognize it as that. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I think that kind of stuff is important. I, and I really do believe, and plus we built a band. Man, bands like us tore our asses off in the 80s. I mean, we went to every crook and cranny of the, this country and other countries and going, come out and see us, come out and see us. You know, let's play, let's, you know. And I, I think that people, uh, it's saturated differently and more organically than, um uh, The social media way of doing it today. That's what I think. That's overall my explanation.
1: And and I think also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but but the message of the songs too. I mean, if if you look at some of the songs that came in in the 90s, they were very, you know, for the lack of a better word, dire or or sort of dark, and it was how everything was horrible in the world, and yet you look back at the 80s music, and, and there was just an uplifting spirit to the songs about, hey, everything's going to be okay and even if you break up with your girlfriend you'll you'll find somebody new there there was always some kind of um good ending if you want to the songs and i think people just like to to hear that that you know right right i mean lyrically um rocket drumworks uh talk to me about that and and the fact that you know you had to you started your own company and you know just the importance of having your own. What do you want? A custom shop, if you want, uh, for for drum work. Talk talk to me about that a bit.
0: Well, um, I, I did have to stop building drums because when I went through cancer, I was not able to steer the ship any longer, and my workers and stuff, uh, just you know, they had to move on. They had to they had to you know support their families. I I just couldn't do it. Um, I was a a big driving force in that company because it was my company um but you know a lot of that company was built on a lot of the same principles that i learned from bill bettermore at pork pie and a ton of the principles that i'd learned from john good at drum workshop um those concepts i just had my own spin on it i have sort of my own principles to some degree but uh so when I couldn't build drums uh, anymore, uh, I went back to drum workshop and I'm I'm back with drum workshop right now, which is fine because John and I have such a fantastic relationship and Garrison, the head of A&R over there, I mean, he was like the best man at my wedding. Unfortunately, I'm not married anymore, but uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, you know, will I build again? Uh, I hope I, I hope that one day that I will uh, again. Uh, I'm very happy using DW. They do pretty much what I want, but I have all these little nerdy ideas that I like to put into drums that I can't quite do uh, with anybody else except me. <laughs>
1: Right, right. So, and 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 I'll finish on this today, just uh, quickly on on the guitarists of of Poison. You 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 have had blues, you've had uh, Richie, uh, but talk to me about CC. Because when we have those discussions and and guitar magazine and blah blah blah, do their top tens, CC is often left aside. But yet, there's something very unique to what he does, and and he plays for the songs, and you cannot think of a Poison song without his style and his tone. Um, What has he brought to the band? And and why do you think sometimes he's not getting the respect that he should? Because he's just a fantastic player and and Poison songs just wouldn't be what they are without him.
0: He is a fantastic player and I'm very happy to have him. Um, You know, I mean, all I can say about the people that are critical of somebody like CeCe is, I mean, at this point, it's just like, fuck you, because I am not impressed by people that don't, I'm not going to try to impress people that don't impress me anymore. Um, you know, it's like, you sh- show me what, where your integrity is. That's how I look at people who days. Um, that's one thing that cancer taught me. It's like, I love things better. I slow down a little bit more, but then at the same time, I lose patience with, with certain things too, because I don't have time for it. And I don't have time for that criticism, whether it's towards Cece or, or any member of my band really. Um, we we've amassed a, a large body of work. This has been my life's work and I do defend it. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, CC has an amazing personality. He's intelligent. He's funny. And that, that come, that personality comes out in is playing. And, uh, and there's a lot of, of uh, uh, players that uh, are really great players, but there's no personality in it. And if you talk to them, it's like they don't have a personality and it's like, no wonder it doesn't come out and they're playing. There's nothing there, you know, yeah. um, except the, except the technical ability, which, you know, is that art anymore? Or is it just a craft now? You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we've always worn our heart on our sleeve. We've always been brave enough to throw some tongue in cheek, uh, humor into what we do. Uh, We've never been afraid to not laugh at ourselves, but yet take ourselves seriously enough to keep going with us and 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 make great songs, which I think we really do make great songs. Um, we, we were not out to be Emerson, Lake and Palmer. That's not what we set out to do. We set out to be a great rock and roll band, not a not even a great metal band, but a great rock and roll band, um, because there's less rules with rock and roll, <laughs> so you yeah, have more fun with it, you know. Although a lot of the things we do dips into the metal side, and a lot of the stuff we do dips into the straight pop side, and we've kind of put it all together, and I think we've found um, an awesome niche uh, that uh, not a lot of bands are able to find. So I find ourselves to be extremely lucky people through our efforts.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think the one thing that any guitar player should take away from CC is the lesson that you have to play for the song, it has to be tasteful, and it's not about wankery and, and being the spotlight, and, and that's what Cece, I think, is his strength, is that he brings exactly what he needs to bring to Back to the Rocking Horse, to Nothing But a Good Time. There's no bumblebee nonsense, and look at me, I'm Cece, and, and that's that's more important to me than, than some guy who can play a, a guitar solo at 100 miles an hour, quite frankly, so... So good on them and Well
0: absolutely. And and you know, if you go to like like to Nashville by way of example, where that's a songwriter's town, literally. And it's about the song and the singer. All those guitar players that, that play and all those bands are ridiculous, ridiculously talented players. And they play for the song. They do not sit there and wail every second they get. And that's why they keep working and working and working and working. You yeah. know what I mean? and um, and and that and, and it's tasteful and that's what you have to be in that scenario and I really do believe that when you're working to make a song sound great you have to be tasteful um, you know I would sit there and imagine an audience because Poison is honestly Mitch we've always written to be a soundtrack for our live show that was our idea what will work live let's make a soundtrack to it you know what I mean how would it slow in a set, like all that kind of stuff? And I'd sit there and imagine like, you know, if somebody's airdrumming, what would they see? Da 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 that. Okay, that works. You know, if I did some really overly complicated film, nobody could airdrum to it. I really want people to airdrum to my shit. <laughs> I really do.
1: <laughs> yes, and, and, and they should. And and I'll finish on this just because I mentioned back to the rocking horse. Do you think at some point there'll be some room to to expand the set list and include some of those hidden gems that we haven't heard in in 10 or 15 years like like back to the rocking horse or are you just comfortable with with the set as it because I mean its it's, it's the greatest hits it's, it's hits late and you can't complain but would you like to give a little little extra you know sort of elbow room to some of, of the lost gems?
0: I would well, I'll tell you what I'd love to do is do a residency and do each album from top to bottom. That's what I'd like to do. Um, you know, it's, it, you have a certain amount of time and people want the hits and we've Agreed. experimented and left things out over time. And when you do, you get more complaints than if you just sort of feed the, the hardcore fans. It's very tough to, to find the rate balance. Agreed. It's really, really hard, but I think it would be fantastic to just do like, open up and say off from, from the beginning, you know, from the top of the set, from the top song, all the way to the end of the song. And, and honestly, those, the sequence of those songs work together. And I would love to do that. Um, I don't know if I can get the band on board, but I've been talking about that for a long time. <clears throat> I think it could be amazing. We could do three years of four years of, I mean, and we could just go on and on and on doing those
1: things, you know? That, that would be great, and, and quite frankly, the the city that has hosted the most residencies is Vegas, and what could be better than Poison with their own Vegas show? I mean, it, it just it's, – it's a no-brainer. It really is.
0: I know. That used to sound really funny and cheesy, and now it's not. Like, that's like, really – you know, oh, you're in Vegas. Oh, my God. You know, now it's like, yeah, that's real,
1: you know? Yeah, No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Ricky, always, always a pleasure. I'm I'm hoping to catch one of the shows on the tour. There, not many seem to be fitting into my schedule, but I'll, I'll see if I can make it happen because it's always uh, nothing but a good time when you see Poison. And you add in Cheap Trick, and man, I'm going to be crying at the end of the evening, I think. So I got to come out.
0: Well, maybe, maybe we can get you in Toronto or get you to Shuffle Down to Buffalo.
1: Yeah, well, the only one that actually works in my schedule is New Jersey on the 23rd of June, so I'm going to see what I can do, but yeah, that, that I've got to see that. It's it's like two of my favorite bands in, in, in history on the same well, night.
0: Well, cool. You can you, you can come to Family Night. <laughs> you know, we'll include you in Family Night at that show, because that'll be... A bunch of people that we grew up with and stuff so that'll be fun
1: oh uh, that'll be great uh, thank you ricky always always a pleasure and uh let's 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 hope for more let's let's hope for some october dates or some november dates because there's never uh, enough poison for me thank you so much mitch have a good one cheers now all
0: right you too until charlie i said hey we will do bye-bye now. all right bye now
2: you're listening to rock talk with mitch lafon rock talk